Good morning, Bridge Church, and thank you for joining us for Church Online this morning as you're worshiping God with us in your living room, wherever you may be right now. We know this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, so worship in freedom with us this morning together. Come on.
same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes,
righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Stand before the throne. 
about a cornerstone and if you don't know what a cornerstone is it's the first block that's laid when a building is constructed it's by that first block that everything is placed after in fact it determines whether the rest of the building is aligned and so every stone that's placed afterwards is referenced from that first stone in our life Christ is our cornerstone he is the very first thing that we should go to, that we should look to, that should be the very foundation of who you and I are. So how we see the world, how we have our relationships, how we handle our finances, when we, what do we do when we're stressed or what do we do when we're anxious or what do we do when, when we need a healing, whatever it may be, everything lines back up to where Christ is in our life. I want to encourage you to make Christ your cornerstone. Look at his word and see how all of those different pieces that come together, how do they line up to what Christ says? So whatever you may be facing, I want you just to take a moment, lift that up to the Lord and say, God, if I have something out of alignment in my life right now, I give it back to you and help me put it back in place. Lord, we thank you that you are our chief cornerstone, that you are the very first priority in our lives. God, I pray that everything that we do as individuals, as families, as married couples, as parents, as brothers, as sisters, as neighbors, as coworkers, as fellow human beings falls in line with what your scripture says. God, may we learn to love one another the way that you say we should love one another. 
God, may we learn to forgive the way you say to forgive. God, may we learn to have joy the way you say to have joy, how to have hope, how to have peace, how to handle our finances. What do we do with the stress that we're facing, Lord, to look to you, God, because you are our cornerstone and everything else lines up back with you. So thank you, God. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so true. Thank you for being so foundational in who we are. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. And all of God's children said, amen, amen. Hey, we're so glad that you have tuned in to be with us today. Why don't you just take a moment? I know no one may be around you, but hey, why don't you give me a fist bump, an air high five, and I want you to know that we love you, that we care for you. We've got a great day planned for you. And before we jump into God's word, we're going to look at church news to see all the amazing things that we have coming up here at the bridge. God bless. Hey, Bridge family. We're so glad that you're joining us today for Church Online. Before we get into the message, we want to let you know about all the ways that you can stay connected with us. We aren't quite ready to have our regular in-person services, but we are excited to continue connecting with you online throughout the week. Here's a look at what's going on over the next few days at The Bridge. We hope that you'll join us and stay plugged in. Our Bridge Kids Summer Online Experience Fast Forward is coming soon. Yep, it's going to be July 6th through 9th with songs, skits, Bible stories, games, and a take-home craft for each day. This is the time for your kids to reach forward and discover the great and awesome things God has for them. We know your kids will have a good time joining us online and learning truths straight from God's Word. The cost is just $10 per child, so... Go to our website, thebridgechurch.tv, and register your child for this fun-filled summer experience online. Because we want to keep your kids connected with God this summer. Right now is the time to get your kids all set up for their Bridge Kids online service. Just go to our website, thebridgechurch.tv slash kids. There, your kids can watch the service and access the downloadable activities designed just for them. You can also find it by going to the Bridge Kids Facebook page. We are excited to keep your kids connected with God and their church family. Hey church, we want to keep you updated on what our community care program is doing during the season. This past week, we had our meat drive to supplement our supply due to the shortages that we were facing. As always, you responded in such a strong way. 
we received over 960 pounds of meat from you, our church family, as well as others in the community who contributed. We just want to say a big thank you for your generosity. If you or anyone you know needs assistance with food right now, our community care program distributes food here at The Bridge every Sunday morning at 1045. Thanks again for being a blessing to our surrounding community. If you want to stay connected and informed, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. This is the easiest way to stay up to date on what's happening, as well as see our devotional stuff the week. You can also stay informed by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app to 77977. And for more general info, log into our website, thebridgechurch.tv. If you're joining us for the first time and you want to find out more about the church and how you can get connected, we invite you to go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you'll find the Digital Connect card where we can help you get plugged in. Just take a moment to fill it out and we'll be happy to connect with you. Thanks again for joining us today and now let's get into God's Word. Good morning church. It's so good that you've joined us today and you've allowed your house to become God's house and made it a place of worship as we sing and praise God together and now as we look into God's Word. You'll keep in mind that we have given you announcements and we continue to reach out in different ways through social media to stay in touch with you. I hope you can join us tonight at 6 o'clock out on the plaza for a great time of fellowship and worship in God's Word. We did it last Sunday night. It was so awesome, so refreshing, and I hope you can join us tonight, whether it's on the plaza or in your car listening on the radio. We look forward to seeing you. Let's dive into God's Word today. And as we begin, let me pray a brief prayer. Father, I thank you for your Word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our paths. shows us where we are, where we need to go next. I pray today that you would use your Word, use my voice to speak into every heart, every life, give us some clear direction that we can each apply to our own lives as you form us and shape us into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. You know, I, I love life, and I love to laugh. That, that's how I'm wired. You know, the Bible says, you know, laughter's good for you. A merry heart does good like a medicine. And I, I love to laugh. You ask anybody who knows me well, and I find humor, and if I can't find humor, I'll create humor in almost everything. But the last few days hasn't been a whole lot of laughter in any of our lives because there's a lot going on in our land, and I want to talk a, a little bit about it today. The last several days have reminded us that evil and hatred still lives in the hearts of men. This past week, I put a video out on our church media pages, just a short video, short statement, and the summary of it is, where there are evil hearts, you're going to find evil actions. There are still dark, dark evils in the hearts of men. Evil hearts produce evil actions, make us do horrible, horrible things. Like you, my heart breaks because of what's happening in our land today. Not because of one event that happened, or not because of one evil that exists, 
But because there's so much evil in the lives of so many people in our land today, it breaks my heart. You know, my heart breaks because people don't understand that society can't fix its own evils and its own woes, can't solve all of its own problems. If we do not allow God to change our hearts, all forms of evil, all forms of hatred, and all forms of racism will live on. This week, I had a conversation with a young pastor friend. I knew he was going through some challenges, and I just gave him a call to see how he was doing. And in the course of our conversation, this young pastor said to me, you know, this subject of racism is so important to our generation because my generation wants to be the generation that ends racism. And I listened to him and I encouraged him and I cheered him on. I said, that's awesome. I'm glad you feel that way. But you know, I can go back many, many years. I'm, I'm a product of the 1960s and 1970s. I remember watching the civil rights movement on television I remember the riots that took place going back to the 60s and then have continued from time to time in our land. I remember the rock and roll culture that developed in especially the, the mid and late 60s and the message of peace and love. And, you know, the interesting thing is I come from the generation where so many people were singing the words of John Lennon's song about imagine the world being this way or that way. We thought we were going to be the generation that ended racism. But society cannot solve its own ills. We need the love and the power of Jesus to change people's hearts. It breaks my heart to hear the stories of those who've been victimized by hatred and racism. It hurts me. It hurts my heart to know that Millions of people in our nation are fearful of being confronted by law enforcement officers. Just a few years ago, after the outbreak of violence that came out of the incidents in Ferguson, Missouri, we had a meeting one Wednesday night with our youth, and we brought in three police officers. One was black, one was Hispanic, and, and one was white. And we had conversation and dialogue with the youth, trying to bring about some understanding trying to bring about just a little bit of a sense of justice, a little bit of a sense of respect between young people and, and the police so that we can maybe settle some of the misunderstandings that create violence in our land. But it also breaks my heart to know that someone in a position of authority can be so evil as what we saw a few days ago in Minnesota who can do such a horrific thing to an individual, a life that God created, and it can impact so many people in our land. It hurts all of our hearts. It also breaks my heart to know that there are some wonderful, godly, loving law enforcement officers, even right here in our own church, who are fearful that they will be branded as racists because of the badge that they wear. It's a lot of pain, a lot of misunderstanding in our land today. Today there are approximately 328 million people in America. 
I realize that my voice will not be heard by very many people. I know who my audience is. It's not the whole nation of America. This is not a news network. This is simply one broadcast from one church. And my audience today is the Bridge Church. But maybe someone will hear what I have to say and just maybe, just maybe one life, one heart can find comfort or help that will bring healing and change. So this morning I want to share in the next few minutes, maybe several minutes, I want to share four thoughts. And I ask you today, please open your heart. Hear what God's word says to us. Number one, our value as human beings, each and every one of us, our value is defined by God. And there are two things specifically in Scripture that I want you to notice with me today. Genesis chapter 1, when God created all of creation, but especially when He finished creation and He created man, the Bible tells us that God looked upon all of it and said it's good. And He, in, in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, God blessed man. God blessed man man literally God valued his creation you know it's interesting as you look at that word blessed when it says God blessed man God looked down at man and he placed value on man because God saw something of himself in his creation you see, you and I are created in the likeness and in the image of God. And when God looked at that first creation, when he looked at Adam and he saw what he created and he saw the abilities, when he looked upon Adam, he saw something of himself in Adam, in mankind. God didn't say he's a God. God didn't say he's a little God. God said, I see something of myself in man. And God honored God respected, God put value on what he created because he saw himself in man. It's interesting when God blessed man, that word blessed, it's the same word that you see throughout scripture, which talks about we honor God, we bless God. The psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, honor God. It literally means to kneel and adore someone. I know what my heart does when I bless God I know what happens inside of me and sometimes my body how I express my appreciation to God whether it's kneeling or whether it's lifting my voice lifting my hands whatever it might be it causes me to rise up and extend something to God but to stop and realize when God created you and me God knelt down and held us in his arms and he said I see you and I see me in you and I put value on you. I bless you. And we see the benefits of God in our lives day by day by day because God placed value on us. With the birth of every child, the reflection of God is reproduced and seen again. And God blesses, God values every child that's born in our universe. And then God demands that we also do the same. Sad to think with all the hatred in the world today, 
even along racial lines, even tribe to tribe, even political party to political party. It's interesting to note that we can all be traced back to Adam and to Eve. We're the creation of God. God wants us to value each other. But we, I think we, we tend to forget that as soon as God placed value and put his blessing on mankind, at that moment, Satan set out to devalue and destroy what God valued the most. And envy and strife and hatred in the hearts of man began to devalue mankind. Even in the first family you see it as brother killed brother. The battle continues today, Satan filling the hearts of men with hatred. Violence erupts, Satan using God's creation to devalue and destroy what God values the most. Hatred, racism, murder, it's the work of Satan. If I devalue another human being, I devalue the face of God. As much as our hearts hurt today for what's going on in our world, I want you to stop and realize that God's heart hurts more. And then there's a, a second way that God defined our value. It wasn't just when He creates us that He, he puts His blessing upon us because He sees Himself in us. But second of all, our value is defined as well by the price of our redemption. You see, God saw so much in us that He gave His own Son to die on a cross for our sins, to wipe away all that was wrong and put His rightness in our lives. That's how much God values you. That's how much He values me. You know, we in the church talk about agape love because in the original writings in the Greek, there, there's an ex, a, especially a, a special kind of love that's defined there. And the original writing calls it agape. And if you study that word agape, God's love, agape love springs from the heart of God because he sees value in something. You know why God loves you? You know why God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son? You know why that happened? It's because God sees value in us. He sees himself in us. And he gave his own son, God himself, died for our sins. To wipe away our sin, our faults, our evil, our mistakes. To change our hearts and bring us into relationship with him. That we might forever and ever be the children, the sons and daughters of God. God loves all of us. But that means God loves each and every one of us. Friend, God loves you. God values you today. You may think no one else in this world values you. God values you. And you'll find value in the family of God. There are people who love you too. 2002, I was in the nation of Rwanda. It was my third trip, I believe, into East Africa at the time. I was there for a pastor's conference, and we were in Kigali, the, the capital of Rwanda. In the first session, I heard another pastor from America speak that night, and he taught the very principles that I just taught to you about the value of 
humanity. The value of each and every life in the sight of God. The fact that God took every one of us at creation and held us in, the ar- in his arms the way a, a mother and a father would hold their baby and see themselves in that baby and love that baby. He talked about that principle of value. When he finished that night, I watched a room jammed full of pastors, black faces, tears running down those faces. And I think some of them for the very first time in their lives realized just how valuable they were and just how valuable their lives were. And I want you to listen to me for a moment. To stop and think, well, adults not understanding their value, how can that happen? It was less than 10 years before that night that the nation of Rwanda was ripped to shreds by hatred. And it wasn't black and white. It was tribe against tribe. The ruling Hutu party decided to wage war against the Tutsi tribe. And although they all existed in the land, the hatred broke out. And those men who stood that night with tears running down their faces, first time in their lives maybe realizing they were valuable to God, their future, their race, their people, their tribe had been so devalued that in a few short weeks, 800,000 Tutsi tribe members were murdered by another tribe because they had no value. I was there in Rwanda, 2001, 2002, as that nation began to rebuild. I looked across that room that night. It's Tutsis and Hutus. Men who'd come to Jesus and found value in God stood together in unity, a mixed crowd lifting their hands to God, giving praise for how much He loved them and trying to move forward with the love of God in their hearts. He grabbed me. A few days later, I happened to take a ride in a small bus. I was going over to the edge of the Congo and to a city called Goma. And to get there, I was, I was going to ride on a public bus, but uh, there was a group of women and a couple of ministers who were going to do a women's conference there at the border. So I hitched a ride with them and I rode in the back of this bus. And as we traveled the road, I don't know, probably four hour drive. As we traveled the road, There were two or three occasions on that one drive when all of a sudden one of those women would just start sobbing, crying hysterically. In the back of the bus, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand it. I didn't speak the language. And finally one of the pastors would turn to me and in broken English explain to me, this woman's entire family was slaughtered by other people at this spot on this road. And it happened again and again. I saw the damage that hatred can cause. But you know, if we, can, if we can learn to value, to love, and to celebrate each other as God's handiwork, see each other as bearing the image of God, I believe hatred will cease. If I can see God in you, if you can see God in me, we will see each other differently. And our attitudes, 
and our actions will change. You carry value. I carry value. We're created by God. We're redeemed by God's own son. But then number two, it's a fact. Hatred exists in our world, even in our land, probably even in our city. Racism exists. And it's all the work of Satan shed through, pushed through, jammed through the lives of other people. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a family where both of my parents had come from the south. I grew up in a, an area just outside of East Los Angeles. There were a number of different races represented in our community. We went to school together. Really wasn't a big deal. I never saw any acts of violence in my world where I lived. But when I became a minister, I spent the first few years of ministry traveling across our land preaching revivals. For those of you who are old enough to remember what revivals were, we haven't had any laughter. Some of you are getting a good laugh now either at revivals or at my age, whichever it might be, that's fine. But the point I want to make is I, I was down south, I won't say where I was, in, in the southern part of the United States, and I happened to preach for a week in a very small town in the south. And as I always did, whenever I was in a, a town, especially a smaller town, I loved to go out and just explore the community. So one day I went downtown and I was kind of walking from shop to shop and I passed by a furniture store. And as I looked in the window, I saw some furniture and at the time I, I'd been thinking about buying some furniture. So I thought, I'm going to go in and look around. And I opened the door and this older gentleman was sitting there behind a counter and he had a big smile on his face and with his southern drawl said, come on in, son. So I walked inside and started looking around. He said, what can I help you with? And I said, ah, I'm just here to look. I'm from out of town, just visiting. And he said, well, what are you doing here? And I told him, I'm preaching revival services at such and such church in town. He said, oh yeah, small town, I know exactly where it is. And we went on and I said, so I'm just walking down around, walking around downtown, just checking things out, exploring your community and uh, looking at the furniture. And uh, he turned to me and he said, well, there's not a whole lot to do in our town. He said, we do have a golf course. Well, I love to play golf. And I said, wow, I, yeah, I, I drove by there, but I also saw it's a private country club. And he looked at me, he said, oh, don't pay no attention to that sign. That's just there to keep, and he threw out a racial slur and said, it's there to keep those people out. I'd never been exposed to that. I'd never seen that up close. It took my breath. I didn't know how to respond to him. I didn't go to the golf course. As much as I wanted to play golf, it didn't go because I didn't want to in interject myself into that kind of hatred. But I walked through that downtown and all these shops, all these stores, and then there's one side street. And the old man told me in the store, don't go down that street because that's where the blacks shop. That's where they're supposed to be. I also found out later that week that community had built a swimming pool for the children of the community. And when the civil rights movement was over, children of all colors began to come to that swimming pool. And so the leaders of the city went and built another swimming pool and said, 
You blacks can have that pool. This is for the white kids. I was in that city a week. My heart was ripped. Then on Sunday morning at this church, and I'm telling you this story because it's important to my journey, and I want you to hear it today. On a Sunday morning at this church, when service was over, a little three- or four-year-old kid, I mean, he was talking plain, but not real plain. little three- or four-year-old kid walked up with his daddy, and I was wearing a beige suit. I still remember the outfit. I was wearing this beige suit, and I had these two-toned shoes on. And this little boy walked up and pointed at my shoes and said, those are blank shoes. Use a racial slur. I thought, what kind of evil can live in the heart of a man and a woman to teach that to their children? Even people who claim the name of Jesus. How can that be? Later on, just a few days, when I finished there at that church, I went one day to visit a cemetery. It was a Civil War cemetery. I walked through this huge cemetery, and there were thousands of crosses in the ground where soldiers had died. I had to go back this week and look at the numbers one more time. It was such a solemn experience to realize that 150, 160 years ago, this war happened in our nation, north against south, mindset against mindset. I looked at the numbers again this week, and I was reminded, 100,000, listen to this, over 100, this is 150 years ago, over 100,000 soldiers from the north left their homes and went to the south to help end slavery. But 130 years later, when I was in that small southern town, slavery had ended, but racism had not. How sad. Racism is illogical. It's stupid. It's hateful. It's sinful and it's wrong. But I'm going to say one more time. Legislation will not drive hatred or any other evil, any other sin from the hearts of men. My generation thought it would end there. This generation hopes it will end here. And that's our prayer. But as long as there are people surrendered to Satan and his evil, there will be hatred in men's hearts. Number three, I want to ask you a question today. What would happen if we were to take all of the hatred and all the frustration of our land, what if we were to take all of it to the cross? What would happen? Take all the hatred, all the pain, all the frustration, take all of it to the cross. What would happen? I told you earlier, America's not going to hear my voice, but the Bridge Church will. What would happen if we would take hatred and frustration to the cross? Did you ever stop to realize that there's never been a more violent, unjust death in history 
than the death that Jesus suffered on the cross for you and for me. Did you ever stop to realize that Jesus was born of a Jewish mother, raised by a man who wasn't his physical father, but it was his earthly father who was Jewish, lived in a Jewish community that was controlled by Roman forces? Well, there was a lot to the politics of the day. The Jewish religious system really controlled the cities in that area where he grew up, where he died. But ultimately, it was foreigners, it was Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. Did you ever stop to realize that Jesus was nailed to a cross, not just by his own people's will, but at the hand of foreigners? And hanging on that cross, he could look down and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Jesus died for you. He died for me. What happens when we bring things to the cross? You know, society's taking this and they're taking that and we got this movement and we got that movement. If we don't take things to the cross, nothing is separated, nothing is forgiven, nothing is healed. We cannot move forward without the favor and the love and the forgiveness of God. What happens when you come to the cross? Two things specifically. Number one, when you come to the cross, you find love and you find value. If you think you're worthless, come to the cross You'll find the love of Jesus there. You'll find that God loves you so much he gave his own son to give you a life worth living. At the cross you find love, value, undeserved release from our sins. The number two, at the cross you also find change. A new life, a different life. At least one of those Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus on the cross, at least one of them that we know of, walked away from the crucifixion that day and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. His heart and his life was changed. That's what happens at the cross. The love of God can change our hearts. I'm going to spend the next few minutes telling you two or three more stories. I, I'm not a storyteller. You know that. I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. It's scripture, scripture, scripture. But I'm going to give you some things to think about today. The love of God can change our hearts. My father was raised one of 13 kids on a farm very poor in the state of Oklahoma. He was born kind of in the middle of the pack. He was probably more raised by his older siblings than he was his parents because there were so many kids on the farm. He quit school in the eighth grade to help work the farm and make a living for the family, provide food. Never finished his high school education. At 18 years of age, he was drafted into World War II. At 19 years of age, he was a part of the force that invaded the beaches of Normandy, France. We've all seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. That's what he did. And he lived through it. He saw a lot of horrible things. And he did it not just to serve his country and to give us a future. He did it to help stop an evil force that was dominating Europe, killing Jews without cause, trying to destroy an entire race. Later on, after he survived the, the beaches in France, he 
I think it was the city of Lowe, St. Lowe. He, he got his arm blown up and they sent him home on the Queen Mary. Took him years for his arm to heal and restore strength. Took him years to get over the shell shock. Late in life, before he passed away, I, I went to the doctor with him at the VA hospital. And the, the doctor, a lady doctor, asked him, do you ever have bad dreams? And he laughed at her. And he said, I've had bad dreams ever since I came home from the war. He saw horrific things. He told me of going on the beaches in France and seeing his friends and his buddies and fellow soldiers being killed and their heads being blown off. He saw people with their skull caps alive, blown off their heads, sitting there in pain. He saw so much suffering. He said, I've lived with nightmares all the rest of my life. But my dad, I watched him as a kid. I grew up. There's one, one problem my dad had with people. My dad was a mechanic. And my dad told me growing up, he said, don't you ever buy a German car. Don't you ever buy a Japanese car because one of these days they'll come back with the money you give them and they'll jam their artillery down our throats. I've lived it. I know it. My dad carried that in his heart. My wife is half German. My dad, when I was 19 years of age, fully surrendered his heart to Jesus and began to follow God. He was always a good man. He began to really follow God. Years later, my dad attended a church that I pastored in Orange County. And there was a new man who started attending our church. He didn't speak much English. He was brought by friends. He was born and raised in Eastern Europe, and he was my dad's age. And it was hard to have conversation with him because his English was so poor, and we didn't speak his English. But they kept bringing him to church, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior and committed his heart to God. One Sunday morning, I'm out in the lobby of the church, and I see these people who are bringing this man to church, and I see them walking over where my dad is, and they start talking. And I, I didn't know the conversation, but I was talking to somebody else, and I just watched across the lobby because I thought, it'll be interesting, my dad, simple as he is, it'll be interesting to see him try to understand what this guy's saying and see if he understands the conversation. I watched for a while, and my dad just stood there very coldly, just listening. Finally, after a while, I saw my dad walk over and stick out his hand and shake this man's hand. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't think anything about it. I just thought, thank you, Dad, for being kind to visitors at our church. After service, somebody came up to me and said, wow, you should have heard the conversation today. I said, what's that? He said, you should have heard what happened in the lobby with your dad and this other guy. I said, yeah, I saw him talking. He said, this man said to your dad, I heard you were on the beaches of France. My dad said, yeah. This guy said, so was I, but I was on the other side. He said, when Hitler's army ran through our nation and drove us down, they took all the young men like me out of the communities and put them in the German army. Even though I wasn't German and even though I didn't have their axe to grind and their burden to carry, I was forced into that army. And I'm sorry for what happened there. He said, my dad walked over and stuck out his hand and said, it's okay. I'm pleased to meet you. This may seem stupid to you, but my dad got older. 
He bought a Japanese car because his heart changed. He started liking Mercedes, BMWs. He thought they were pretty nice. Something changed in his heart. Just probably three years ago, maybe two years ago, one Sunday morning at the end of the service, young man walked up to me, probably early 40s, walked up to me, his head was shaved, he had a lot of tattoos, you know, tough-looking guy, looked at me and stuck out his hand and said, I appreciate your sermon today and I want you to know something. I used to be part of a skinhead gang and I hated all people of all colors except Caucasians. But he said, I met Jesus and Jesus changed my heart. And today I love everybody. And if you ever need me to tell everybody that racism is stupid and that Jesus can change your heart, you let me know. I'll gladly share the good news. Friend, God can change our hearts. He's our hope. Maybe one more story quickly. Back in the early, mid-1990s, when we had the Rodney King incident in Los Angeles and we had riots break out, there was a woman who went to a church on a Sunday morning. She was visiting her children. She was from out of state. She, she came to that church on a Sunday morning in the middle of what was going on in Los Angeles with the riots. And she listened to the pastor that day as he preached a message talking about the stupidity and the evil and the hatred of racism. That woman came from a family that had poured hatred and prejudice into her entire life from the time she was a little child. She looked down on people of other colors. But her son had gotten into some really difficult situations. He'd gotten in a place where his life was threatened. But he was protected by a man he met there in that community, a big black man who said, you stay at my side and I'll protect you. Began to change her heart. That Sunday morning, she listened to the pastor preach a message about the stupidity of hatred and racism. When service was over, she walked up to the pastor. With tears running down her face, she said, I'm so sorry for the way I've lived my life. I listened to your message today. I know what's happened in my own family. And I want you to know I'm wrong. And I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I speak to everybody in my world. And I'm going to tell them we are wrong. She walked out of that building that day with a changed heart. I know because I was the pastor that preached that message. Her son's one of my best friends. So much hatred in our land. Hatred here, hatred there. It's not the hand of God, it's the work of Satan. Over the last several days, and I'm going to move toward the end of my message. Thank you for your patience. Over the last several days, I've sat quietly. I've watched and I've listened. You know what I've seen? Even among Christians, finger pointing. Oh, it's not me, it's you. Oh, it's not us, it's them. Oh, we're okay, but, but on and on and on. I've seen it in social media. I've seen people run in fear trying to say the right things. I've seen people afraid to say anything. I've received emails the last week. One or two have complained because I said nothing. Some have probably been offended because I've said too much. 
Some will probably be offended at what I say today. They'll find fault somewhere because that's what's in the hearts of people, even in the church. There's been so much of this. All of us trying to protect ourselves. Where does accusation, where does finger pointing come from? Revelation 12 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who wants to divide us. He's the one who causes us to do this. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about David, King David, the psalmist David, the shepherd boy, the giant killer. It says that David was a man after God's own heart. I've been trying all my ministry to put that in the best words possible. I think what it means is David said, God, you show me what's in your heart and I'll put that in my heart. I want to do what's in your heart. David was a man after God's own heart. And this week, I noticed something. I began to look at some of the Psalms. David was a man after God's own heart. And I found out part of the reason why. Psalms 139, David said, God, search me. Psalms 51, David said, God, wash me. Psalms 19, David's prayer was, God, cleanse me. Cleanse me. He went so, as, so far as to say, let me understand my errors. Cleanse me from secret things, things I don't want to tell you about that are hidden away and maybe things I don't even know about, secret stuff that's buried in me. Cleanse me from that stuff. Read a little further in Psalms 19. 19 David went on to say, I know that I may even have presumptuous sin. It literally means arrogance. I may see myself as okay. I may be arrogant about myself. If that's what's going on, I don't want to do things out of that arrogance that creates problems. He said, cleanse me. I don't want arrogance to rule over me. And the fourth thing David said that I saw this week was in Psalms 119, God, teach me. Teach me. He said, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man create clean, pure paths for his life? He said, it's by taking heed to the word of God. God, teach me. Maybe today, maybe our finger pointing, maybe for a minute, might need to be reversed. And maybe we pray, God, search me. God, wash me. God, cleanse me even of arrogance and presumption. God, free me. God, teach me. God, change me. I don't think we need to stop finger pointing. I just think we need to point the finger at ourselves and start there. Romans 14, Paul wrote these words. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He said, God's the judge, not us. Be careful of judging other people. 
Jesus taught this principle. He said, you're not qualified to judge. When you start judging others, that means you think you've arrived and you're ready to be fully judged by God. And Paul went on to say this in Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us judge one another any, not, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Some have, this past week, today some will call me simple. But I'm going to tell you, the church is not the problem. The church is the answer to the problem. We have the message, the love of Jesus. And finally, very last thing. And I realize I've probably talked longer than many of you anticipated. I know I've talked longer than I anticipated. But finally, what should our narrative be? People are struggling to find the narrative of the moment. I've seen it on social media. I've heard it from people's voices in different places. And my heart is hurt because so many people are trying to find somebody's voice to speak for them. What should our narrative be? I'm not talking to the whole society. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm talking to the Bridge Church. What should our narrative be? Let me give it to you. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love, agape, love for one another. If you can see the value that God has put in others and love them, the world will know who we are. In 1 Corinthians 13, these verses. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing but sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Just noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. That's what Paul said. He also said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and make a show. Love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. In verse 8, Paul said, love never fails. That's the only commentary I have. That's my narrative today. That I might live a life shows the love of Jesus. Talks cheap. Can I show the love of Jesus to others? Let's pray today.
Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us in spite of our faults, our shortcomings, our failures. Father, there's not one of us who can point a finger at another as if we have no sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in many areas of our lives. But today we look to you. We need you. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would change our hearts. That you would look into our hearts and see what's there and show us that we can let you change us from the inside out. Father, cleanse our hearts. Cleanse our ways. Change the way we see each other. Change the way we see the world. Help us to love as you loved us. Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this message, the privacy of your home or wherever you might be. Maybe you've heard this and you've thought, you know, this rings true in my heart, but I don't really know God. I'm, I'm not really part of church and his family. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. That's what Christianity is. But maybe you're saying, this, is, this feels right. I, I want to know more about this. I, I believe this is right. And maybe you realize you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and let God begin to work in your life. I want to pray with you today. It all begins with words, asking God to come into our life. If you feel that way today, that's because God is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's waiting for you to say, come in. Pray this prayer with me. God, I need you. I need you in every area of my life. I open my heart to you. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I believe he paid for all my sins. And I want Jesus to become the Lord of my life. Change me from the inside out. From this day forward, you are my Father. I'll be your child. Teach me your ways, and I will follow you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, this is just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end, it's the start. We've got some materials we'd love to give you, and on your screen in just a moment, you'll see how you can access those materials. We want to put them in your hands, no strings attached. We don't need anything from you. We're not looking for money. We're not looking for any kind of commitment. It's simply you saying, I want to start walking with God. We want to help you do that. So please respond. And finally today, I want to close with this. I mentioned earlier that we have an open plaza service outside tonight at 6 o'clock. We did this last Sunday. And i got to tell you something. Last week, I know some of you didn't like it. Some of you were offended by this. Please, 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 please honor one another. Uh, people were loving and hugging one another. I had a lot of people walk up and say, can I hug you? And I said, yes. Please don't be offended at that. But I had two giant hugs last week. Giant hugs. And I left last Sunday night. And man, I was so refreshed. We worshiped. We shared a little bit from God's Word. It was amazing. But the two biggest hugs I got was one from a black brother in our church who's been through a lot, and we've walked through some crazy seasons with him. We've seen God do great things in his life. He gave me a bear hug and didn't want to let go. And the second big, big, huge hug I got was from a Mexican brother of mine who's become a dear friend, gave me a big bear hug and said, I miss you. You know what? That's what the body of Christ is about. 
we love one another. And as we dismiss today, this part of our service, don't forget there are a number of ways you can give. We're not here begging for money, but you know what? We're still supporting missions work around the world. We're still feeding a lot of people every week. A lot of you responded to the meat drive. We had, I think, a 1,000 pounds of meat brought in this week. God bless you. Thank you. You're blessing a lot of people. Have a great, great Sunday. If you made a decision to follow Christ for the first time or you decided to rededicate your life, we want to help you begin your journey of faith. We have a free gift that we want to give you called The Next 7 Days. It's a simple tool that will help you take your next steps with God. If you'd like to get it, just direct message us on Facebook or Instagram with the words Next 7. You can also click on the link right there in the platform that you are watching from. We will be happy to connect with you and get you this gift. We are so glad that you made this life-changing decision. Thanks again for joining us today for Church Online at the Bridge. We love you, we are praying for you, and we are believing for God's best in your life. We'll see you real soon.